You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, Disability After Dark listeners. Thank you so much for clicking on this episode 20 of Quarantine and Chill, the podcast within Disability After Dark where I talk to disability thought leaders about their experiences during the pandemic. And I can't believe we're on episode 20 of that because it looks like the pandemic's going on forever. So, so will these episodes. I'm really happy to be back here and thank you so much for listening and clicking in. I love being able to have um, these conversations with you and it seems that some of you like these episodes more than you do the originals. So that's cool. I'm glad this little idea that I decided to do on the fly because I was bored one day, bore some fruit. That's cool. Um, so let's get comfy, cozy, quarantine and crippled, and let's get this quarantine and cripple, oh, that's not what it's called, quarantine and chill, started. I'm Andrew Gerza, by the way, hey, Qu- let's, let's start the quarantine and chill episode 20. This week for quarantine and chill, I've titled it, I got tested for COVID three times, because I literally got tested for COVID three times. Don't worry, it's not because I had COVID, it's because, well, I'll tell you about it in a second. Um, so the title for this one is, I got tested for COVID three times. And this week for a Q&C, I decided that we wouldn't have a guest share their story, but rather I would share my experience with being tested for coronavirus and how as somebody with complex and severely sexy disabilities, all of that took place. I also wanted to take some time away from being on the podcast as an interviewer and turning on my like, hello, welcome voice, because that's, I love that voice and I'm really appreciative that I get to sit down with all of you, but it's nice sometimes to do episodes where it's literally just you and me hanging out in your ear holes, having a chat. So that's what today is going to be. And I'm really excited to do this one and talk to you about this. I wanted to use this episode as an opportunity to get really personal with all of you about how I've been really doing during the quarantine period as a disabled person, mentally, physically, and of course, with my sexual needs. I just want to share with all of that with you today and kind of have a chill chat with you. And I hope that for part 20 of Quarantine and Chill, you'll join me for this so that we can get truly comfy, cozy, crippled, and quarantine together. Let's do that. Let's get started right now. I wanted to start off by kind of going on about how Andrew is feeling during quarantine today, how I'm feeling during quarantine generally, but especially today, 
how I'm feeling. Like in as we're as we're nearing our sixth month mark of doing these shows and doing these special episodes, I want to sit down with you and tell you how I'm feeling. So as I've said to every single guest that's come on the show thus far, my feelings about the quarantine as a disabled person change day by day. One day I'm like, man, it's not so bad today. The next day I'm like, I really hate this. I want to hang out with people. I want to go outside. Not that I really went outside before COVID. Really and truly, I didn't go super much because I like being home. But I really am feeling... I'm feeling like I want to go outside a lot more. And I feel like I can go outside with a mask. But I feel like that's a little bit scary too. So, so you know, it's my feelings about quarantine as a disabled person right now are up and down. Definitely. It's a roller coaster of sexy, gimp emotions that I am truly feeling. Um, in many of the episodes, you've heard me specifically ask the guests whether or not there's a sense of comfort for them knowing that everything has slowed down and knowing that as a disabled person, we should, in some respects, be kind of ready for this social distancing and ready for this self-isolation. And I have to tell you, these last six months have been way harder than I ever expected them to be as a disabled person. I got to tell you, they've been super, super difficult on my mental health and my joy meter and all those things have been really taking a toll. I mean, I've been managing, but it's been really hard. It's been really tough, harder than I ever expected it to be, if I'm honest. For the first month or so of the quarantine, I was like, well, this is sort of normal. I don't really go out that much anyway. And like the people are still coming to me and everything's all right. Like I wasn't being able to access my attendance as much because I didn't need them. And so I got a catheter put in right at the beginning of the quarantine, as I think I've shared before. Um, But after the first month, the only specific people that I've been seeing for a month on end, four or five times a day, were different attendant care workers tasked with taking care of me and well they're great and I'm so grateful to have access to them right now and have access to those individuals at this moment because a lot of disabled people don't have access to care right now and are not given access to proper care during the pandemic and I understand my privilege in in that but it's really waned on me it's really played with my patience I'm usually a really patient guy when it comes to attending care but this pandemic has made me way less patient than I expected I would be. Like, I find myself snapping at caregivers that I would never snap at because I'm just quarantined, as I call it. So it's been really tough. And not knowing when this is going to end and, and knowing also, as we've said a number of times in these episodes, this will last longer for disabled community members than it will for non-disabled community members, probably. And, and so that part is really really daunting if I'm, if I'm if I'm being true with you it's really really a lot to take in and to think about that when everyone is able to unlock and do the things and go out of lockdown I might not be able to because of my disability and that I try not to think about that too much but it always is in the back of my mind and it has been more and more during the during the the last few weeks of the pandemic, just thinking about how long will this last? When can I get out of this? One of the things that I undoubtedly miss during the pandemic and that I'm missing a lot right now, I miss touch in a way that I can't even really describe. I haven't had 
a session with a sex worker in almost, upon this recording, almost six months' time, and the inability to, to access that slutty part of myself has become increasingly hard, and not in the way that I want it to at all either. Um, because I haven't had access to my sex the way that I normally would, I've been dealing with a lot of auto-ejaculation, which means that I will ejaculate and come at random points in the day with no, with little or no warning. So all of a sudden I'll be watching an episode of something and boom, I'll just ejaculate. Um, now, you know, there are, I can see a bunch of porns being built around that premise and how that is kind of hot, but it's actually, for me right now, it's super embarrassing because I have to call an attendant. I have to either explain that I came on myself, which is a really awkward conversation to have with an attending care worker, believe me, or... I have to lie and say, oh, something happened, there's discharge, blah, blah. Which makes me feel like I'm not telling the whole truth, which feels weird to me also. So it's been extremely embarrassing for me, and it's taken a toll on how I see my sexuality and how I see myself as a man, and it's really been really, really hard for me to navigate that because it's I'm not coming as I would want to. I'm coming when my body decides it's time. And it's really affecting how I see myself as a sexual person with a disability. I want to feel sexy and confident as a cripple, and I don't feel that way because of this. And it's hard to talk about and navigate, and that's part of why I wanted to bring it up for this quarantine show, because it's something that's really, truly happening to me. And we should chat about it. I could do a whole other episode on other embarrassing moments of when that's happened. It, it could be really funny and raw, and maybe that's an episode that I'll do in the future. But for now... Just know that I'm coming on myself with literally reckless abandon. One of the true highlights of being not able to access sexuality the way that I would, and one of the things that I didn't kind of realize until it started happening to me, was that it's allowed me to consider the other ways that I can mobilize my views on disability, and it's allowed me to reflect on what I really want to share with people on the platforms that I have, my Twitter, my Instagram. Those are the two that I mostly go on to share my version of disability advocacy, and I realized that I love sharing the emotional facts. I'm going to say it again because I know you all loved it last time. I love sharing the emotionality of being disabled and how that really feels while also giving non-disabled people and disabled people tips and tricks to dismantle ableism. That is really, without a doubt, my jam, and I kind of love that quarantine and my inability to have sex as frequently as I was before, because believe me, I was having sex with a sex worker every two to three weeks at mo at least. Um, and so not being able to do that has really forced me to redirect some of what I do, and I kind of enjoy that because it allows me to look at things that I wouldn't normally look at outside of the lens of sex. It's really broadening my idea of what I think a disability awareness consultant can do and could be, and I'm really, really excited by that. Really, really happy to be able to have that that opportunity to look at myself and see what I want to do and see how I want to change and see how I want to grow what I'm doing already. It's pretty, pretty cool. Traveling during my crippled quarantine time has been an interesting exercise with a new game involved in it that I like to call Will My Mask Fall Off in Public? And How Will I Get It Back On? I have been using the the non-medical surgical the non-medical masks that they give you, but a lot of those I'm finding are really inaccessible to disabled people who don't have dexterity to put the hoops behind their ears and the loops behind their ears. And it's fallen off a bunch of times and I've tried to be 
really vigilant when I do go out, which is super rare. I stay home and I have everything delivered to me right now. Um, but I tried to put a mask back on the last week when I was trying to get my ID renewed because, of course, my ID my ID stopped working right in the middle of a pandemic. Of course, why would it be any different for me or for any of us? Um, so I, I had to put a mask on and I put the mask on and then, then the person at the till said to me, oh, you're going to have to take your mask off for the picture. And I said, okay, I can do that. But when I took it off, I pulled too hard with my spastic hands and I pulled the hoop right off and I couldn't put the hoop back on. And then when I was trying to call the cab to go back home, which was only about 10, 15 minutes from where I was, they ask you in the app, they're like, are you going to be wearing a face mask? And I was like, sure, but mine came off. I'm going to need help. And so the driver came and the driver was willing to like help me. But it was a whole exercise, and he's not sure if he wants to. And I don't blame him. He doesn't know me. I'm a stranger, and I'm asking him to touch my mouth, the place where everybody is like, don't touch there. And so he helped me, and and by help, I mean he just said, get in, it's okay, and cover your mouth with your shirt. We didn't actually, he didn't actually touch me, which is fine. But I remember being super upset because I couldn't put the mask back on, and I couldn't ask for help. And it's happened a few more times. I've gone to visit my parents up north. They live about an hour north from me in the city. And I went to go visit them. I've gone to go visit them probably two or three times a week for the last three weeks because my grandmother passed away. So I wanted to be there for my mom. And so I'm, I'm just sitting here on the computer most days. So I was like, oh, I'll come up and visit you, no problem. So I'm on the train and my mask comes off. And I just didn't feel safe about asking somebody to to secure it and then I I built up the courage and I asked three people on the train and they all looked at me like I was committing this horrible social more that I was not supposed to do and I remember just being like oh fuck I remember I remember thinking they need to do something about this they need to put they need to figure out an accessible mask for somebody who doesn't have dexterity because I can't do this and I want to be, be protected um, and so it's been really interesting having to be like, excuse me, do you think you could put a mask on me? And so eventually I just stopped asking because I was like, I don't want to be, I don't want to scare people and say that I need help. And they're probably wondering, why the fuck are you out if you need this much help? You should stay home. Um, and so, you know, it really makes it, there's a whole other, other level of ableism with the ability to put on a mask or not that I think we need to explore in the disability community and find better ways to make that happen and better ways to make masks more accessible. Masks that don't have loopholes and don't necessarily go around your head. Maybe masks that go around your neck. Um, we need to really include people with complex disabilities and limited dexterity in this discussion because if they can't put on a mask and they got to go somewhere by themselves and they don't have an intended care worker or somebody to help them, they're going to be treated right now because of COVID. They're going to be treated like a pariah in the street and looked down upon even more than we already are because why isn't that guy wearing a mask I certainly was when I went out the last few times I was looked at like I did something horribly wrong when my mask wouldn't go back on and nobody would help me and it just felt like and I can't ask for help because I don't want to incite them you know feeling weird and feeling uncomfortable and I don't want to have a public display of I'm not going to help you disabled person with your mask 
but that is something that I've been struggling with when I go out. And so I made the choice to wear a balaclava, like a turtleneck piece. It's kind of like just the piece of your turtleneck, and it goes over your mouth. And I got really fancy, sexy, colorful ones. I'm sure there's a picture of me on social media with like a blue, sexy cowboy bandana on my mouth. And I got a bunch of those to go out. The trouble with those is, and I've discovered, and I thought they would be the perfect accessible solution for me, quite honestly, and they, they've they not been bad, but they haven't been as perfect as I wanted them to be, truthfully. Um, I realized that when I have the balaclava on, they it fully covers my mouth, and I kind of choke on the fabric, which, you know, I have the fabric stuffed all the way in my mouth, which, you know, I really would prefer at this point, especially at the six-month no-sex mark, I really would much rather have other things stuffed in my mouth, if you get what I mean. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I really want some dick in my mouth. Um, but I guess I'll have to I guess I'll have to be okay with fabric for the next little while. But we need to, to, do, to do more to include complexly disabled people in the fight against corona, coronavirus with better masks. We just have to. And from my own personal experience of not being able to get it put back on over the last couple of weeks when I go out, it's, we need to do better. So if anybody wants to create a disability mask that, that specifically deals with dexterity, hell, maybe that's something handy can do at some point, but we need to do, there needs to be more because everything that's on offer right now is really hard for somebody with limited dexterity to navigate. Totally, completely inaccessible. Also, just another quick accessibility tip that I'm looking at. I've been on Zoom a lot recently for a lot of Zoom calls with the Handy Book and a lot of team meetings and a lot of people that I have to connect with. As we've all been, we've been Zoomed out, I think. All of us really, like, tell the truth. Zoom fucking is great, but also fucking sucks, right? Yeah, I know. Um, I've been on Zoom a lot, and I really wish that Zoom would have more accessibility features. The number one thing that I want in Zoom and I kid you not, I really want this as a disabled person. I want automated captions so that when somebody else is speaking, automatically Zoom will put the words that they're saying on the screen so you can read them and record them during, like if you're recording the video, that'll be recorded too. We need that stuff because I don't have, um, I don't have a disability that would commonly suggest that I need a transcript but I do have, I'm neurodiverse as somebody with CP and seeing the words on the screen helps me to really, if I'm not paying 100% attention, which is usually the case because I'm either looking at boys or because I have brain damage. Ooh, that could be like a sexy album for somebody. Boys and brain damage. The new limited edition by Charlie XX, Charlie XCX. Yeah. Charlie XAX, call me. Let's make that a thing. I want to, I want to write that album. Boys and Brain Damage. Um, but we need to have captions on the Zoom to make it easier for neurodiverse people to follow along and folks with other disabilities. And I'm upset that Zoom hasn't really decided to make that happen yet, which kind of sucks, truthfully. Let's shift a little bit to my attendant care during the pandemic and what that's been like for me. And I've sort of illuminated this a little bit in some of the episodes that I've had with people, particularly the episode with Kristen that I did, uh, Quarantine and Chill episode 
16, I think it was, with my best friend Kristen talking about her conditions in where she lives, and I talked a little bit about mine, but I want to go more deeper into what my care routine has been like. As COVID ramped up, my attendant care providers where I live sent out a memo saying that they would do care for the clients as of right now, but if things went sideways, they didn't say sideways, I said sideways, they just said if things got worse, which they were looking to do, and this is back in like March, they would arrange, we would, they would help us, but we'd have to ultimately arrange our own caregivers. This is really hard for me and many people that live in supported housing anywhere or have care kind of doled out through the state or the province. It's really hard to be told if something goes wrong, you have to get rid of all the people that you know and trust and you have to have to start working with people that you that maybe not have done your care in 20, 30, sometimes 40 years. So it can be really daunting and I was really concerned because my family lives an hour away by train from Toronto and my family is getting on in years and can't really do all my care. They can't, I mean, they can do a lot. My mom is really strong and can do a lot of care, but she can't do everything. And, and given the dangers of touch with COVID and all the things we don't know, it felt like I didn't want to put her in that position and be like, yo, I'm moving home for the next six months. Take care of me, mom. That felt, as a 36-year-old man with disabilities, that option being given to me initially as the only option felt I was upset by it. And I immediately and politely went down to the management team and said, we have to have a meeting about this because I literally cannot have care in this capacity. It's not, I, I can't. And so I was upset that, you know, they would, there was just an expectation that you would figure out your, your own care. Best of luck to you. Many of us who live in these places are sent here and that's the only care we've known for years. So to be told you have to, you have to arrange care is a daunting and scary task. And I know how to get my care needs met. But even I wasn't quite ready to handle that reality. And I remember freaking out and going down to them the next day, the care team, and saying, what the fuck, guys? I can't. I can't. And I was really worried that things would go sideways because at this point the numbers were kind of going up. And I sat down with the care team and I looked them in the eye in person. And I said, okay, well, this is a shit show. Literally, that's what I said. And I said, what do we do here? And what happens now? And what kind of care can I receive? And luckily, a new care team had just started like a week or two prior. So they were new and they were trying to, they were trying to come at it in, in a proper way. And they came in to the room and sat down and looked me in the eye and held my hand, which was nice at the time. Also a little bit terrifying because COVID. But they held my hand and they said, we're going to do whatever we can to take care of you. Don't worry about it. Because I laid out for them that it's not, it wasn't possible for my parents to take care of me. And that really scared me. That really made me, they, they would have to. Of course, my mom would. And like I said, she's really strong and she would do whatever she could for me. But that's a lot to ask. And especially considering we don't know how long this is going on for. And we're already at month six and it's still, it's trending upward and downward depending on where you live. And so it's just very scary. So sitting down with them and being reassured that they would, the care team would take care of me, made me feel at least a little bit better. 
Okay, so that was back in March, and everything was going okay, and the care was going all right, and I had put a catheter in the middle of March to get, make sure that nobody would touch me for four weeks, and I wouldn't run the risk of an infection, and I did what I had to do to make sure I was okay. And one day in May, probably about two or three weeks after my birthday, I got a call from the one of the head managers of my caregiving team, and we don't speak so much unless something big and egregious has happened here. Um, and I assumed they were calling to do something minor like my laundry or change my dinner booking or help me go pee with a catheter or whatever the case may have been. And instead, I got a sweetly but off-putting voicemail that went something like this. Hi, Andrew. It's Banana. I'm just calling to say that one of our staff has had a positive COVID test. And I remember even now playing the flashback, playing the voicemail back six or seven times just to make sure that I'd heard it right. I had real honest, terrifying flashes of what might happen now if, if, a, if another staff member got it or if one of us, the clients, got it and it would spread like wildfire and it would hurt many, many other disabled people and the people charged with taking care of them here. I've seen in long-term care homes in other provinces and other parts of the world that they would, somebody would get COVID, they'd be asymptomatic for a few days, and then all of a sudden there would be a giant outbreak and somebody would die and then, then they would have body bags carrying people away. And I had visions of that, if I'm honest. I had visions of that dream for a good oh, two, three days after we got told. And then, so after we got told, we were trying to figure out how to get tested. And so I immediately, after I got the phone call, I immediately started Googling test centers. But I was worried at this point because at this point, they didn't have easy testing. You had to go to a testing center and stand there and wait hours and hours with other people who may be unknowingly and un unwittingly carrying COVID. And so I, being a high-risk person, as I've said all the way throughout, I was freaking the fuck out. I called my mom that day and we sat on the phone for like an hour and tried to figure out how do we get Andrew a test? What do we do? Does Andrew come home? What happens now? And it was really scary for a while, but it is what went through my head. Luckily, the care company here, the care company called the city of Toronto and urged them. And they had some, they have some clout with the city of Toronto because they're funded through, a, through an agency that works closely with Toronto Public Health. And they urged and requested the the Sick Kids Hospital get a testing unit to come and test the 26 disabled people that live here and that were high risk. The city agreed, and we found out on we found out on I think we got the call on Friday, and we found out by Sunday afternoon that they were going to do mobile testing, which I was super happy about. Um, and so, what a mobile testing is, if you're wondering, they send a big truck. And they come into your ho they come out to the hallway and they put the swab in you and you're all good and set to go and that's what was happening, um, and so the, I was really happy they came. the The city had to request, and the agency where I live had to beg basically for emergency help to get this, which highlights for me just how flawed and fucked up our healthcare systems are for the disabled people and for. And for mar marginalized individuals, yes, even in Canada. If you're listening in America and you're like, oh, Canada would be amazing. No, no, we still have 
a shit ton of work to do here. Even though it's free, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's equipped for disabled bodies and disabled individuals. And I learned, I, I was reminded of that when they came to do the test. But I was super happy that we got to be given the test at all. On the following Tuesday, they were their testing team were scheduled to stop by at noon. And I was all nervous from like 9 a.m. to noon. I was freaking out. I was really nervous. They came by and I was ready for this gruesome, invasive, horrible, long-winded test. Because everything I'd seen on social media and in the news was it was this horrible thing that would happen. It would really hurt. And you'd have to get ready for it. And so I was ready for this like medieval thing to happen. And really, when, I, when they got there, they pulled out a swab that sort of looked like a Maybelline eyelash wand. Really tiny, really compact, kind of soft. Didn't didn't look super invasive and scary, which I was much pleased about. Um, I also appreciated that they came to my home where I felt the most safe. And they had all my favorite attendants there with me to like pat me on the shoulder, talk to me, read me a story. And, and I, well, they didn't read me a story, but they like talked to me and we laughed a little bit. Um, and I was really, really happy to have that of someone that I trusted and someone that I knew helping me was kind of nice. And so the team professionally and gently told me to put my head back and put the swab all the way up there. Like in a way, they went deep, friends. Like and I, I am, I've been dying for a swab to go deep in me for a long time. <laughs> if you listen, if you listen to the show regularly, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But this went places, friends. It didn't hurt, but it was definitely not comfy in any way. I was also worried as if somebody with spastic quadriplegic CP that I might have a spasm during as they were putting it up there. I might get scared and have a spasm because the swab has to touch the little tiny cilias of your body. And I was like, I'm going to have a spasm and, and the, the wand is going to go way up in my brain or something horrible. I was having a f good fear for a minute. Um, and I realized kind of in that moment yet again that we need more accessible testing full stop for disabled people, not only during this time, but just full stop generally. I've talked before on the show about needing STI testing and better STI testing, but we also need just regular better testing, and let me explain why. I think as a disabled person for folks with heavy spasms, like really, really jumpy, jumpy, large I don't know. I don't know if I would call them grand mal spasms, but they're big, big, large moral response spasms. Um, for people who have that, like me, when I get scared at a certain point, and all my brothers and all my family will attest to this because they spent our childhood scaring me, uh, I will jump really high, like three feet out of the air. And if they were putting that thing in and trying to do a, a throat test or a swab test, that could be really traumatizing, especially for somebody who may be cognitively okay and may understand what's happening. And again, I'm very careful to say okay. I don't mean that in the ablest way. I just couldn't think of a word. Someone that may have more cognitive function than others might be really scared because they know what's happening and they know what their body's doing, but they can't communicate that to you as, as the test is occurring. I think that would be terrifying and we need to talk with people who are nonverbal and people who have differing levels of disability about the testing and how do we make this testing 
so much better for them and comfy for them. It's not comfy for anybody, but as comfy as possible. How do we do that? So the the test lasted all of five minutes, and the team of like five people in hazmat suits, and it looked like that scene out of E.T. where like E.T. was happening. That's what it looked like um, when all those guys came to get E.T. Uh, and it, the test lasted all of five minutes, and they were out of there super quick, and they called me the next day with a negative result. So that's only one test, and you know the title of this episode is I got tested for coronavirus three times. And so the second time, a couple weeks ago, I woke up at 4 a.m. with a bowel obstruction, as you've heard me say in a couple episodes recently, um, and I was not feeling super well at all, and I had to go to the hospital. And the minute I got in there, after I started puking, they were like, yo, we need to give you a corona test. And having had like a gentle, soft one before, I sort of thought I knew what I was going to expect. And so then the nurse that was doing it was slammed with other, other patients and was running around and sort of half listening to me, but also helping everybody else. Also, I was puking, so she was running around trying to get basins for me to barf in. It was a whole thing. And so she says, okay, we're going to give you a COVID test. And I was ready for like soft and fluffy and cool and nice. And it was like, she jammed it up there. Like I, again, I have a dream of being jackhammered by a dude and like taken to pound town that way. But this was like, what are you even doing? She jammed it so fast on my nose. Like, one, two, three, bum, bum, bum. And I was like, okay, that feels uncomfortable and weird. I don't know how to manage how I'm feeling about that. But I stayed calm because I was barfing and I needed the drugs to feel better. Um, and so I got an, I had a nosebleed in the hospital and my nose bled for like hours and hours because she jammed it up, up there and it was super not gentle or like, Floofy or calm. There was no one to tell me stories this time. It was super, like, bam, bam, bam. I'm going to be super efficient. So, like, I like that she was efficient because you get that shit done. But also, like, buy me dinner first, nurse lady. Like, tell me a story about birds and bunnies and make me feel valued here. It didn't happen this time. Um, she was very nice, but not super gentle. And I was concerned, again, for people with bearing disabilities when she jammed it in there. Their, their spastic response would activate. That should totally be a superhero. Spastic response, activate. Um, <laughs> and so their spastic response will activate. And then is the test moot? Do, you, do they choke on the swab? What happens? Like, it just didn't, it didn't feel super nice. And then the second time as I was leaving the hospital, getting discharged about a month ago, they um, were like, oh, we want to do one last test before we discharge you just to make sure you're good. And I was like, cool, cool, no problem, cool. And they did it. And this time, it felt like Twister was in my nose cavity. They took the thing, and you're supposed to twist it four or five times to get a good sample of your epithelials or epaulets or I don't know what it is, but something on your nose, the cells, to see if the corona is there, Miss Corona is there. And they um, jammed it up. She jammed it up there and twisted it like Twister. And so I had it done and whatever, it's no big deal. But I was like, wow, none of this is gentle and calm. Why was the first one that was done able to be gentle and calm? And I was not traumatized, but I was concerned for the state of of testing. And so um, that's my story of getting tested for COVID three times as a sexy queer cripple. Um, and this is episode 20 of Quarantine and Chill. I would love to have all of your sexy voices 
on further episodes of Quarantine and Chill. Also, want to give you a a production note, if you will. I am changing the name of the podcast, and I know you're like, "What, Andrew? What is even happening? Why are you doing that?" Disability After Dark is so great. Well, don't worry. Disability After Dark is staying put. How I'm changing it though is right now the the title on my title card says. Let me read it to you. The title on my title card says the podcast shining a bright light on sexuality, disability, and everything in between. Or disability, sexuality, and everything in between. I want to change it to shining a bright light on disabled stories because I think that opens everything wide up. Yeah, it does. It opens everything wide up for us to have deeper conversations that don't have to hinge or be reliant on some sort of sexual or sexy thing. I love having... I just love talking to people and so I'm getting the artwork done for that it'll be the same artwork that you see my smiling face against the orange background and it'll just have the tagline switch and I'm gonna I'm gonna make it so that the beginning of the tagline it says that now instead but I'm excited about that I would love to have you on the show if you want to come on the show and talk about your quarantine experience you can email me at quarantine at um, sorry disability after dark at gmail.com using the subject line quarantine quarantine and chill or you can dm me directly on instagram at it's andrew Gerza, or like tweet me on twitter and say i love your show i want to be on let's talk about this thank you for listening thank you thank you have a great friday and we'll be back ne- next week with hopefully a new guest for quarantine and chill and for our thursday episode thanks friends bye all right friends this has been another edition of disability after dark the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. I'm, of course, your number one career cripple and your disabled Dick Smith host, Andrew Gerza. If you like what you heard today and you want to follow my work and find out more about what I do, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at itsandrewgerza. If you want to follow the podcast directly, you can head over to Twitter and punch in DisAftDarkPod and follow us there. If you want to contact the show with a show idea, a guest idea, a comment, or complaint, you can head over to your email and email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to this latest edition of Disability After Dark, and we'll be here to shine a bright light on more things really soon. Thanks, everybody. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Music was by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020